Good morning. Welcome to New Life. We're so glad you're here. I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you've never been here before, you're watching online for the very first time, we're so glad you came. We want you to know that we love God and we love you. Now, if you're wondering how can we love you when we've never even met you, it's very simple. We love you because God first loved us. Uh, As followers of Jesus, uh, we follow a God who loved us while we were separated from him, and he calls us to love everyone, not just the people that we know, not just the people that like us, people in our family, but to love everyone. In fact, he even tells us to love those who hate us and those who persecute us. It's an amazing reality. In fact, those outside the church in America today often think that the church is against everything and the church hates people and things that aren't like them. But here at New Life, we, we love you. We love God and we love you. And here's the thing. We are against one thing. We do hate one thing. And, and that's sin in all of its forms. And it doesn't mean that we don't struggle with sin in all of its forms because we do. In fact, many times over the years, if you've come here often, you know that I always say, my name's Pastor Chris and there's no T at the end of my name. It's Chris, not Christ. And any of you who've known me longer than 15 minutes have already figured that one out, right? Uh, It's not that hard. But the truth of the matter is, I and many people who are part of New Life are, are seriously engaged in following Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. We know that he calls us to a a higher standard than the standard of our culture. And not in a self-righteous kind of a way, but in a kind of way that, that, that says Jesus knows what's best for us. And if we follow him and do what he says, our lives will be so much more uh, actually pain-free in, in the sense that we will know the joy that only can come from being in a relationship with God. And a long, long time ago, back when the first two people were, were created by God, they had that perfect relationship with him, but they decided it wasn't enough, and they wanted something more, and so they exercised their will against God's will. And that's known as sin. And the reason that we believe that that happened is because we believe that this book is true. And uh, this book, the Bible, there are 66 books within one book, and we believe that every book was written by a person who was inspired by the very Spirit of God, and so this is God's Word to us. And there's a hard statement in the book of Colossians. It says that we were all once enemies of God. Now, enemies, that's a strong word, isn't it? The reason is God is perfect and holy, which means that he doesn't have any sin in his life. He's complete in every way, and we were not. And, and, and I use this illustration a lot. If God is light, which that's an illustration that, that Jesus used of, of himself, and, and we're over here in the dark, the only way we can get back to the light is to turn around. And the Bible calls that repentance. When we turn around and come back to God, and we can do that especially because of God's Love, which was so amazing, and we're told this in the book of John, that he came here to earth as a little baby. Uh, His name was Jesus, and he grew up and he lived a perfect life, a sinless life. And he taught with incredible authority. He healed sick people to show what the kingdom of God is like, because there aren't any sick people in the kingdom of God. And he cast demons out of people to show that there's no evil in the kingdom of God. And then he died on a cross to pay the penalty for human sin, so that we could have our sins forgiven and the relationship restored. And when he rose from the dead, showing the very power of God that even can overcome death, he returned to heaven and he sent his spirit to all of those who believe in him. And that spirit is what changes us from the inside out so that we actually can live a new life. In fact, Jesus said that new life is so amazing. And he said it's being born again. 
and we are born in a spiritual way to this new life, and then we start living the kind of life that he created us to live. Now, I know that there are many people in the world today, in America today, who don't believe a word that I just said. They don't believe there's a God. They don't believe that there's goodness or evil. They don't believe in any of that stuff. They believe that sometime billions and billions of years ago, nothing was added to nothing and multiplied by random chance, and boom, out came a universe. And it takes a lot of faith to believe that if you think about it. If I said to you this morning, you know this watch on my hand, it was not there one day, and then one day, boom, it disappeared. You would say, no, no, it wasn't just there one day. And if you actually believed it was just there one day, it just, boom, it just appeared, then I have some good swampland in Florida that I'd like you to take a look at, right? I mean, really, when you see a watch, you know there's a watchmaker. When you see a creation, you know there's a creator. But anyway, there are other people who believe there's a God. In fact, they believe there might be a whole lot of gods. And it doesn't really matter which god you follow. If you just follow a god, you know, because there's lots of religions in the world, and they're probably all right anyway. And so if you just follow God, do your best. That's all that really matters. But, but the, the absurdity of that idea is seen if you just look at some of the world religions and see the oppositional ideas they have. For example, Buddhists and Hindus and people of other religions believe that when we die, physically die, we come back again as another person or as some animal or other creature, it's called reincarnation. And Christians believe that when we die, we never come back again. We either spend eternity in, in relationship with God with him, or else we spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Now, both Buddhists and Christians could be wrong, but it's impossible that we could both be right. I mean, those things are so opposite. And there's a lot of ideas like that in the world's religion. So you can't just believe anything in any religion, and that's good. Now, there are people who believe, sort of believe in the God of this Bible. But what they say is this. God is love, and it says that in the Bible, God is love. And so God is loving, and so God accepts all of us just the way we are, you know. And if we have some problems, really we just need some counseling or education, everything will be good. And certainly, the, you know, the, the account that Jesus died on the cross, I mean, God is loving. He wouldn't kill his own son. I mean, it's impossible. That's what some people believe. Some people believe that the Bible is true and that the God of the Bible is God and that Jesus came and died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And they go, whoa, what a good, what a good deal for us. I love to sin. Jesus loves to forgive sin. I'll just keep sinning and Jesus will just keep forgiving me. Whoa, awesome. But the Apostle Paul wrote something 2,000 years ago to a church in a place called Rome, which still exists. Rome, by the way, still exists, obviously, uh, to address that idea. He said, well then, should we keep on sinning so God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So Paul believed that when Jesus Christ becomes Lord of our lives, we die to sin. That doesn't mean we can't sin anymore. It means we don't have to. It means that we don't have to live a life of sin anymore, that our lives can change from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our lives can change. The Bible uses a fancy word called sanctification for that. It simply means that we become like Jesus. We become more and more like him over time. And if we live in the power of the Holy Spirit one day and the next day and the next day and the next month and the next year and after years, we will be different. People will notice the difference because we will be more like Jesus. Now, we know that we won't have ultimate victory over every sin until we 
either one of two things happens. We die and go to be with Jesus, or Jesus returns and establishes his eternal reign. Because in his eternal reign, we are going to be perfect, just like Jesus. I want you to look up on the screen, because I want you to think about this. It's a powerful belief among Christians that this life is not the only life. And that the next life, we will be perfect as Jesus is perfect. So I've just summarized what we believe here at New Life. It's basically biblical faith. That's all it is. And so if you're here for the first time, watching online for the first time, that's what we believe. And over the course of the summer, we have taken one of these 66 books in here called Daniel. It's from the Older Testament, the part of the Bible that records what happened in the world before the coming of Jesus. And uh, we put a study guide together called Daniel, Putting God First. And the reason the series is titled Putting God First is because Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, lived in a culture much like this culture. They lived in a culture where people had a lot of different ideas and they worshiped many different gods but they worshiped the one true God. And as a, re- as a result of putting God first, they were persecuted for their, for their faith. But Daniel and the other three guys, who we often know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is their Babylonian names, and Han- uh, Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Anyway, um, they stood out because of their faith. And in the midst of persecution, they, sh- uh, they, they literally overcame amazing obstacles. In the first six chapters of Daniel, um, we hear about these amazing obstacles that they overcame and about Daniel interpreting visions for the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and then interpreting the writing that came miraculously on a wall uh, with just a hand writing it. Nobody understood what it said, but Daniel did. He interpreted that for King um, Belshazzar. So, That's what happened in the first six chapters, but in chapter 7, the book takes a turn, and from 7 to 12, we're going to see there are visions, but the visions are now given directly to Daniel, and they refer to the future. And so last week, we we read the first vision in chapter 7. It's a scary vision, actually. Uh, Lots of really scary creatures. And so this week's uh, vision doesn't seem as scary on the surface, but actually, it's just a repetition of last week's vision. It's just as scary when you really get into it. We're We're going to talk about that. But before we do, let's look at today's take-home point. We seek to make one point here every week that we will take home, that we'll pray about, reflect on it, and live it out in the week ahead. And this week's take-home point, a lot longer than usual, but I think you'll see that the point is actually pretty easy to, to do, even though it's a little bit long to say. And that is that Daniel couldn't understand the time of the end, even with an angel's explanation. So we do well to remember Jesus' instruction concerning the end. Be ready. So we're going to see in the vision that Daniel is confused, and then an angel explains it to him, and he's still confused, because the time of the end is confusing. And Jesus, when he came along, you know, hundreds of years after Daniel, uh, he he had a simple, short uh, idea about the end, be ready, because I might come back, you know, today, tomorrow, who knows when. So before we turn to Daniel uh, 8, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity we have to come together and to share our faith in you, uh, to come to faith in you if we haven't yet done that, to read your word and to learn your truth so that we will be better prepared uh, to love you, to serve you, and, and to be ready when you return. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bible or Bible app or your study guide, uh, Daniel chapter 8, it's up on the screen if you don't. It says this, during the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, saw another vision following the one that had already appeared to me. 
So Daniel gives us a little background. The first vision occurred during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign. So this one's two years later. And then he says this. In this vision, I was at the fortress of Susa in the province of Elam, standing beside the Ulai River. What amazing detail. What Daniel says is, I was in a palace. It was in Susa, the city of Susa. It was in the province of Elam. We were beside the river Ulai. Or Ula'i, I don't know how you actually say it, because Hebrew is a dead language. I don't even know. It doesn't matter, just say it with confidence. Okay, so anyway, anyway, why would he do that? Why would he give us all this detail? Well, what he's trying to tell us is, this really happened. I was really standing in the palace in Susa, in the province of Elam, next to the river, and this vision came to me. This was not the results of a bad pizza, and I could, you know, I, I'm having this dream. This is a real thing. It really happened. And so this is what he says the vision is about. As I looked up, I saw a ram with two long horns standing beside the river. One of the horns was longer than the other, even though it had grown later than that, the other one. The ram butted everything out of his way to the west, to the north, and to the south, and no one could stand against him or help his victims. He did as he pleased, and he became very great. Now, on the surface, if you were here last week, this doesn't sound like a very scary vision. It's a ram. You know, it's like a goat, right? Uh, and, and last week, the first, the first creature that came out of the sea was a lion with eagle's wings. The next one was a bear who had human ribs hanging out of his mouth. The third one was a leopard that had four bird's wings and four heads. And the last one was so scary, you couldn't even describe it in animal terms. It had iron teeth and bronze armor, and it just trampled everything under its feet. So that, that was really scary. This doesn't sound so scary. A ram, right? But actually, the ram is the bear from last week. The last week, the bear was the Medo-Persian Empire, and this week, the ram is the Medo-Persian Empire. So then it says, while I was watching, suddenly a male goat appeared from the west, crossing the land so swiftly that he didn't even touch the ground. This goat, which had one very large horn between its eyes headed toward the two-horned ram that I had seen standing beside the river, rushing at him in a rage. The goat charged furiously at the ram and struck him, breaking off both of his horns. Now the ram was helpless, and the goat knocked him down and trampled him. No one could rescue the ram from the goat's power. Okay, a male goat with a horn coming out of the middle. It's a unicorn goat. I'm picturing this fuzzy little, you know, stuffed animal. No. This is the bear from last week. This is Greece. The horn coming out of the middle is Alexander the Great, one of the most ferocious warriors and leaders in the history of the world. So this is a scary vision. And what we have to ask ourselves is this question. And I laid this out back when we first started the series, back in the beginning of June, that Daniel has this, you know, these incredible visions, and he interprets them or they are interpreted for him with such great accuracy, historical accuracy, that there are secular scholars, of course, but even biblical scholars who say Daniel wasn't actually written before this stuff happened. Daniel was written after this stuff happened because the only way you could have such historical accuracy is if you wrote it after it happened. And that raises a question. It's a very important question. Does God tell his people what will happen before it happens or not? Does God tell his people what will happen before it happens or not? And how you answer that question determines how you live your faith. Because if you say this stuff all happened 
after Daniel had the vision, then that means God told him exactly what was going to happen before it happened. And you know, there are still prophets today. In our world today, there are still prophets because in Ephesians chapter 4, we're told that God, Jesus, gave these gifts to the church and they are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so there are still prophets out there. But the thing is, in every era, there have been false prophets. Abraham Lincoln you know, one of the greatest, if not the greatest president we ever had, said this about people. He said, you can fool some of the people some of the time, and you can fool some of the people all of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time. And what he was saying is, you know, there's some gullible people out there, and they'll look at stuff, and they'll just believe anything you say. But what we need to do, if we're going to be serious followers of Jesus, we need to look at these words and say, well, what, what about this? Did this stuff happen afterwards or did, did Daniel, you know, whoever wrote Daniel, just look back and, and make this stuff up? Because it makes all the difference. Like, for instance, if I said to you this afternoon in Cincinnati, the Pittsburgh Pirates are going to beat the Cincinnati Reds 4-1, to one, winning their ninth straight game, putting them two games above 500, and I said that because it was actually tomorrow and I read it in the paper, that wouldn't be so amazing, would it? But if I said it right now and it happened this afternoon, which, by the way, I'm not saying that's going to happen this afternoon. Because the reason I don't want you to think I'm saying that's going to happen this afternoon is because in the Old Testament days, if a prophet said something like that and it didn't happen, you're supposed to stone him to death. So I'm not saying that. But prophets can do that kind of thing. And that's really what's going on here, right? Daniel is giving such detail that if this stuff didn't happen yet, it's incredible. I believe it didn't happen yet. I believe it's incredible. You need to do the research. You need to study. I've done that, and many people have, and it will deepen your faith if you believe that this stuff was going to happen, but it didn't happen yet. So then it says, the goat became very powerful, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off, and the large horn's place grew four prominent horns pointing in the four directions of the earth. Ah, uh, four horns, four heads, leopard from last week. This is the Greek empire after Alexander the Great dies. And it's divided up into four different, you know, smaller generals take over and they become leaders. And it says, then from one of the prominent horns came a small horn whose power grew very great. It extended toward the south and the east and toward the glorious land of Israel. Its power reached to the heavens where it attacked the heavenly army, throwing some of the heavenly beings and some of the stars to the ground and trampling them. It even challenged the commander of heaven's army by canceling the daily sacrifices offered to him and by destroying his temple. Most likely, this little horn was Antiochus for Epiphanes, who hated Israel and hated the Jews and wanted to destroy them. In fact, that was his main goal in life, it seems. And so it says, the army of heaven was restrained from responding to this rebellion. I want you to think about that for a minute. The army of heaven was restrained. Now, I want you to picture this. There's these angels, army of angels, and they're ready to come down to earth and fight on behalf of Israel. Who do you think is going to win? <laughs> Israel. In fact, I can prove it to you because if you look in the book of 2 Chronicles, which is what we're reading, if you're reading along with the daily readings that I do the little comments for on, on the internet, uh, today, King Asa was king in Judah, and Ethiopia came out against Judah. Ethiopia had a million soldiers, and Judah, not so much. They only had like 530,000. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus said, like, if you're going to have that kind of odds, you might want to sit down and, like, have terms of peace. But what Asa did was he prayed. He said, God, we want you to fight against them because we can't. We can't do it. We're not strong enough. We cannot do it. And the army of heaven went out. Ethiopia had one million soldiers one day, and the next moment they had zero. Wow. But 
The angels of heaven, the army of heaven is restrained. That's the only reason why Antiochus could win. We don't know why. We could talk about that in another message. But it says this. Uh, Okay. So the daily sacrifice was halted. The truth was overthrown. The horn succeeded in everything it did. Then I heard two holy ones talking to each other. Isn't that cool? Two holy ones. Maybe Michael and Gabriel. Who? Maybe. I don't know for sure. It could have been God in one of the angels, but some pretty high up people in heaven are talking. And it says this. One had said, how long will the events of this vision last? How long will the rebellion that causes desecration stop the daily sacrifices? How long will the temple and heaven's army be trampled on? The other replied, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the temple will be made right again. All of this happened during the time uh, in Israel when there was a family known as the Maccabees. Now, if I could have lived in any time of history before Jesus... And I could have been anybody in history. I would want to be a Maccabee. Instead of a Marshal, I want to be a Maccabee. Because the Maccabees were outnumbered. In fact, how about this for a cool nickname? Hammer. One of the Maccabees' nickname is the Hammer. Okay? So he went against this far superior military force, and he won. But the cool thing is, in the temple, whenever it was all desecrated and stuff, the the light of the Lord, the lamp of the Lord was there, and they didn't have any more oil left because they're surrounded. And, And the lamp kept burning for seven days, even after there wasn't any more oil. And that's the the beginning of the the festival of Hanukkah in the Jewish faith. You can read about Maccabees in 1st and 2nd Maccabees in the Roman Catholic Bible. And and I would if I were you. I mean, if you like history, it's really cool stuff. And and you'll see. And I love these, these. Anyway, we don't have time. That's another sermon. Okay, the Maccabees. So if you're confused right now, you're in good company. (laughs) If you're confused right now, you're in good company because it says this. As I, Daniel, was trying to understand the meaning of this vision, he's trying to understand. Someone who looked like a man stood in front of me, and I heard a human voice calling out from the Ulai River, Gabriel. <laughs> okay, I'm confused. I'm Daniel. And all of a sudden, I hear somebody say, Gabriel. That's the, sec- I, the big chief angel, Gabriel and Michael, right? There used to be three, Lucifer, but now he's the devil. But anyway, Gabriel, uh, it says, uh, Tell this man the meaning of this vision. Well, I'm pretty sure after Gabriel tells you the meaning of vision, if anybody's going to understand it, you're going to understand it. So it says, as Gabriel approached the place where I was standing, I became so terrified that I fell with my face to the ground. Son of man, he said, you must understand that the events you have seen in your vision relate to the time of the end. Ooh, okay, this is something a little different. I mean, last week we heard a little bit about the time of the end, but now he's saying this stuff happened in the time of the end. In other words, there's going to be a time when it ends, when, when time ends. And we already heard about the Son of Man coming in the cloud last week in chapter 7. And so we know that Jesus is going to come back, even though Daniel never met Jesus. He heard about him. And so he's going to come back, and time is going to end, and it's going to be a whole new situation. Eternity uh, in all of its fullness is going to come into play. So then it says, while he was speaking, I fainted. Wow. I mean, I've had times where, you know, I was so overwhelmed by some idea that my head hurt, but I've never fainted because of, you know, trying to figure out what was going on. It says, I lay there with my face to the ground, but Gabriel roused me with a touch, and he helped me to my feet. Then he said, I'm here to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. Okay, there's a new word, wrath. The time of the end is not going to be a happy time. It's going to be a hard time. It's going to be a time of wrath. And it says, 
What you have seen pertains to the very end of time. The two-horned ram uh, represents the kings of Media and Persia. Already said that. All right. The shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece. Already said that. Uh, And the large horn between his eyes represents the first king of the Greek empire. The four prominent horns that replace the one large horn show that the Greek empire will break into four kingdoms, but none as great as the first. Gabriel is giving Daniel a blow-by-blow, play-by-play. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Then end's going to happen. And it says... At the end of their rule, when their sin is at its height, a fierce king, a master of intrigue, will rise to power. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause a shocking amount of destruction and exceed in everything he does. He will destroy powerful leaders and devastate the holy people. He will be a master of deception and will become arrogant. He will destroy many without warning. He will even take on the prince of princes in battle, but he will be broken, though not by human power. The interesting thing is this happened to Antiochus IV Epiphanes, the guy that was against Israel. He died, and we don't really know for sure. History doesn't know. He died of an accident or a disease. It wasn't in in battle. He didn't die. But the thing is, it's, yeah, it's about him, but it's about somebody else because this is about the time of the end. In fact, it says this. This vision about the 2,300 evenings and mornings is true, but none of these things will happen for a long time. So keep this vision a secret. And it says, Then I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for several days. Afterward, I got up and performed my duties for the king, but I was greatly troubled by the vision. And could not understand it. So after the explanation, Daniel was so sick that he was in bed for three days. And we know enough about Daniel by this time to know that Daniel didn't miss work. You know, Daniel was was not that kind of a person. And, And then he went back to his duties and he, you know, he went back to serving the king, this case, King Belshazzar. But he didn't know what was going on. And here's a a very important question. Why would God reveal something to Daniel that he didn't totally understand? And we could ask the same question today. Why would God give us the book of Revelation and tell us stuff about the end that we can't totally understand? Why would he do that? Well, the the short answer is there are some things in the book of Revelation and some things in the book of Daniel that happened in the immediate future. A lot of the stuff that Daniel saw the visions about already happened. But yet there's some that hasn't happened because it's at the time of the end. And some of the stuff that we read about in the book of Revelation, like the letters to the seven churches, there were seven churches that the letters went to, but those letters are just as relevant to our church here at Saxonburg, Pennsylvania, as they were to the church in you know, Ephesus and Smyrna and all those. And there are other things in the book of Revelation that we can understand, but there are some we can't. And so that's why the take-home point is that we need to be ready. Even though we can't understand it, we need to be ready. You know, a team from New Life is leaving for Cambodia Tuesday morning. I use that term generously because it's 2 a.m. We're going to be here. (laughs) 2 a.m. We're going to be here. We're going to go down to Pittsburgh. We're going to fly to Cambodia. And last night, you know, I came into church, and we were having a commissioning service for the team last night. And somebody walked up to me and said, are you ready for the trip to Cambodia? I said, isn't it Saturday? I'm not leaving until Tuesday. I'm not ready yet. You know, I don't even know what suitcase I'm going to use for sure because I don't know if I'm going to take the carry-on or the checked one. I'm not really sure yet. I don't know. But at that moment, I was ready for Jesus to come back. You see, I don't know for sure exactly what I'm going to take with me to Cambodia yet, but I know what I'm going to do when I get to Cambodia. I'm going to tell little children and big people about Jesus. I know when I wake up in the morning in Cambodia, I won't feel like it's morning in Cambodia, but it will be. 
Um, and I will praise God for giving me another day, if I have another day, because Jesus could come back this afternoon. And that's really the point that Jesus made every time Jesus talked about the end times, and he talked about them a lot. He said, be ready. He talked in parables. He said, you know, there was a master who went off and left his servants in charge, and he's going to come back when you're not expecting it. Well, you better expect it. You know, in fact, I was just reading the other day, and it says, you know, you better not be sleeping when he comes back. And I'm thinking, do I have to, like, wear my clothes to bed? <laughs> you know, so, like, whenever he comes back, I can go, oh, I'm awake. I wasn't sleeping. Just, just, I just was dozed off there for a second. You know, and, and you guys laugh, but, I mean, I, I, I genuinely think about those kind of things. Because when everybody asked Jesus, is it now, is it now, what's the sign? He kept saying, well, there's going to be all kinds of signs, plural, but, you know, that's just like the beginning of birth pangs. I don't know, because my dad didn't tell me yet. And when the, when the disciples asked Jesus after he rose from the dead, right before he went back to heaven, is it now that Israel's going to be restored? He said, don't worry about that, because uh, you don't know, I don't know, but the Father knows. And, you know, I picture the armies of heaven, they're ready, <laughs> just like they were ready back there in those days when King Antiochus IV Epiphanes was going against Israel, and they're saying, let us go, let us go, let us go. You don't think there's things going on in the world that the armies of heaven want to fix today? Pooh, a lot of them. But they're being restrained, just as they were being restrained before. And during that time of restraint, what we're supposed to be doing is going all over the earth telling people about Jesus, starting with Saxonburg. And then wherever you live, and then, you know, like we did all over this region with the middle school mission this year, and then there was Africa we went to, and now we're going to Cambodia. We're, we're doing that because we're ready. And we want to be ready. And if you're here today, and, and everything that I'm saying sort of makes sense, that if there's time, there could be an end of time, and God is in charge of everything, so when he comes back, he's going to establish everything the way it's supposed to be. The way to be ready, the first thing we have to do is trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord. If you've never trusted Jesus, never been born again, the best time in the world is right now. Right now, say yes to him. And I say this so often, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's simple because you just got to say, I'm, I've been walking away from you. I've been in the darkness. I've been sinning. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn around. I'm coming back to you. And I'm going to trust that Jesus is Lord. That means he's the owner of my life and that he's Savior, that he's saving me from sin and death. And now he's going to come inside of me and I'm going to have this ability that I never had before to start living like him. And if you do that in this very moment, it changes your eternity so that you can start to be ready. And then as we who have been living in that way, wake up every morning, you know, if there's another morning. And every day when I wake up, I just go, thank you, Jesus, another day. Because I'm 61, you know, I could wake up, you know, in front of Jesus someday. And, and, and so every morning I, I say, thank you, Jesus, for another day. And then I, I, I go through this routine of praising him and confessing my sins and asking him to fill me up with the Holy Spirit and all this stuff. And as we do that, we're ready. We're ready. And I think I was thinking about this whenever the guy said, are you ready for Cambodia? I thought, what if we went over to Cambodia, we're in the middle of kids camp, and we're teaching all these little kids about Jesus, and Jesus comes back. Ooh, baby. Wouldn't that be a cool thing to happen? You're teaching little kids about Jesus, and he comes back. So what are you going to be doing next Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, if you're still here? Well, you might be just going to work. Well, that's important, because if you work as unto the Lord and not as unto man, then you're ready. When Jesus comes back, if you are living your life with love for God and love for other people, you're going to be ready. And that's the thing. So here's the commitment for today. I will put God first. All of the commitments in this series have said, I will put God first. And here it is, because the end is closer than it's ever been. 
2,000 years ago, when the Holy Spirit came to the church, Peter explained what happened by saying, it's like Joel said, in the last days, his spirit would be poured out. God's spirit would be poured out on all flesh. And so it's the last days. That's what Peter said. So are we in the last days? Yes. Is this the last day? Don't know. There's no T at the end of my name. And even the guy with the T at the end of his name doesn't know. Only the father knows. But I do know this. I've done my best to get you ready. My job as your pastor is to make the day Jesus shows up or you show up in front of Jesus the best day of your eternity. And I'm going to do that um, to the best of my ability and the power of the Holy Spirit. But you have your responsibility. And your responsibility is to do the best you can in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that when that day comes, you know, when that day comes, it's a blessed day. And that day ushers in the day. There's only one day after that. I don't know if you know that. You know, when we sing these songs when we've been there 10,000 years. There isn't any more years. It's just one day. There's always just one day. We don't have to sleep anymore. I'm so looking forward to that. I hate wasting my time sleeping. You know? I really, I really look forward to that day when we just get to be in front of Jesus all the time. And I don't know what we're going to do all that time, but I know it's going to be way better than this waiting time here and this time you know, of wrath that's going to come and, and all of that. So, be ready. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us the opportunity to be ready when you return. I thank you so much that we get to live meaningful lives every single day by going out into the world and living according to your commands and your will. I thank you that even though we could never do that without Jesus, that we don't have to do it without Jesus because he is with us and in us by your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for any who prayed just now during the end of my message and said, come in and take over. God, I pray for your special blessing and anointing on their lives. And for all the rest of us, God, fill us up with your spirit so we can bring you glory, honor, and praise. Whatever we're doing, so that we will indeed be ready. In Jesus' name, amen.